You're listening to Our Children's World, the podcast for millennial parents who want to create the best possible future for the next generation. The percentage of intelligence that is not human is increasing. That means the cost for virtually everything is on the rise. At this very moment, I say we sit tight and assess. The government's inaction on climate change is a death sentence to us all. Welcome to episode four of Our Children's World. My name's Brandon. I'm a father of four with the audacity to want his kids to grow up in a world that's better than this one. Thanks for listening and I hope you're having a great day so far. Before we get started, I just want to mention something quickly. I'm trying my best to keep these podcast episodes to 20 minutes for two reasons. Firstly, you're a parent. You have a million things to do and less time to do it in. This podcast is designed to fit inside the drive back from the school run or take your mind off peeling the potatoes or let you zone out when you've got a gap between Zoom meetings. It was an approach another parent podcast that I know had tried and I thought it was super smart. And the second reason I don't want to go on too long is that in each of these topics, there's so much more to be said. And I'm intentionally trying to leave space for other people's perspectives and other people's priorities. I'm also trying to move away from other people's platforms because I'm not convinced they're built for safe, balanced, actionable conversations. I think if enough of us are serious about doing more to prepare ourselves and our children for the next few decades, then I'm on a mission to create that space. That's why you're invited to become a founding community member at ourchildrens.world. And that's why I keep going on about it. But this week, I want to talk about the climate crisis and I need as many of these 20 minutes as possible. Let's get into it. The climate crisis is the main reason I started our children's world. It feels like one of our biggest collective responsibilities. I think there's something fundamentally broken about the way we talk about the emergency we're facing and the next steps available to us. Currently, we're a generation who won't be able to look our children in the eye even if they do make it out of it. To be clear, we've known that human activity was putting our future at risk for nearly a century, at least. As the planet warms through an increase in greenhouse gas emissions, our weather is becoming more unpredictable and less compatible with most of the life on Earth. In scientific circles, there isn't much legitimate debate about the challenges we face. In fact, Most eight-year-olds could probably explain what climate change is, right? Raising awareness and sounding the alarm has achieved very little. In 2017, I started writing a fiction book about a generation growing up in the future. I thought I'd have to make an imaginative leap into the type of science we'd require to overcome climate change. But the more I researched, the more I realized those technologies already existed. In fact, for as long as we've known about climate change, we've known what actions are required to make a significant impact on the path we've put ourselves on. We know the problem. We've already figured out the solution. But the crisis is only getting worse. You might have seen that a few weeks ago, a third of Pakistan was left underwater by devastating floods that were caused by climate change. 30 million people the equivalent of just under half of the UK's population, were made homeless by a completely preventable natural disaster. Their houses, their farmland, their way of life lost to a global problem 
that just doesn't feel like it's affecting many of us yet. We've seen droughts across Eastern Africa, killing off crops and livestock, leaving millions of children in danger of starvation. We've seen 50 degree heat waves across the Middle East, temperatures and humidity levels that can't support human life. And while this isn't just a recent issue, it's definitely getting worse. We've created a planet that means the suffering of some of us is the precise reason the rest of us get to be relatively secure. So news headlines about the harsh reality of living in countries closer to the equator where the real impacts of our warming planet have been apparent for years have done nothing to change how we act. It's clear that unfortunately, we aren't motivated by facts or solutions or even guilt. Those triggers alone won't help us to tackle this problem. So I want to talk about the only thing most people actually care about, how comfortable and convenient our lives are. In this episode, at least, I'm not judging that way of thinking, and I'm definitely not saying I'm not just as guilty. Instead, I'm acknowledging that we're all pretty selfish and suggesting a way we can weaponize that fact for the long-term future of our planet. The other day, I saw a conversation on Twitter about how ridiculous it was that tackling the climate crisis was impacting our cost of living. The thread was basically a collection of voices saying climate was a problem for the next generation, um, that they would have the budget and the science and the urgency to invest in it, that protesters were unemployed hippies that made our lives slightly more inconvenient. That wind turbines are a good idea, but does it have to be near my town? That the gap between the rich and the poor was a more immediate concern and that the green conversation could wait. As if generations before didn't say the same, as if that way of thinking wasn't guaranteeing a worse future for our kids, as if the forces that caused our climate emergency weren't the same ones causing financial inequality. I couldn't believe how short-sighted it was. But then I realized that we spent far too long framing this crisis incorrectly because climate change isn't just a problem for the future that we don't have the attention span for. It's not just a problem for other parts of the world that we don't think will affect us in our lifetimes. It's the expensive consequence of the world we've built and we feel the consequences right now. Not because this is the way things have to be, but because we're servants to the companies that make their money from the way things are right now. We've been bullied into creating a world in their image for the illusion of comfortability and convenience when it's literally the opposite. The main cause of climate change is our use of fossil fuels. And even though we're often told to use less, we have no plan on how to do it. And it's obvious that there is no real appetite from most individuals to reduce their consumption, not at the levels we'd need. On a larger scale, it feels nearly impossible to imagine a decrease in demand. And the system is built around the idea. We want things to be cheap and abundant and readily available. We've established we're selfish. We're looking for convenience and comfort. We just want a good deal. But the industries that are destroying our planet aren't actually value for money at all. Worldwide, we spend $620 billion a year subsidizing fossil fuels. 
That isn't the amount we're spending as consumers on energy and plastics, for example. It's the amount governments are spending with our taxes to effectively bring down the cost of fossil fuel production on the back end. 620 billion. In fact, we spend 1.8 trillion dollars every year on propping up industries that are literally destroying the planet. Imagine if we invested 1.8 trillion each year into clean energy or plant-based nutrition or sustainable materials or cities that were built for people to live in, not just commute through. Any scientific endeavor would be completely transformed with a $1.8 trillion cash injection. Imagine the problems we could solve every year. We're paying the industries that harm our world just for sticker prices we find acceptable. Investing in our extinction just to pretend it's the way things have to be, just to pretend this actually serves our interests. And even worse, those same industries are still making eye-watering profits. Businesses in the oil and gas industry have been making roughly a trillion dollars of profit every year for the last 50 years. The forces that are destroying our planet are getting rich and we're paying for it through our consumption and our taxes. We're financing both sides of the market. That isn't a market at all. It's a racket. It would be like charging someone to help you make poison and then charging them again to buy the poison from you so they could poison themselves with it. While for some reason the whole world relied on poison for almost everything it did. It's absolute insanity. How have we convinced ourselves it's normal? We tend to miss the impact of our climate crisis on the issues we say mean the most to us. Take immigration, for example, a decisive factor for so many election results in the developed world. People show up at ballot boxes demanding tie to borders while ignoring the main drivers of immigration in the first place. The thing is, even though most migrants are motivated by better opportunities or their own security from war, both inequalities that largely exist because of the decisions made by the same governments that don't want to accept them, it's estimated that there will be over 1 billion migrants, mainly from the global south, as a direct consequence of climate change in the next 30 years alone. The actions we take today in our cosy corners of the world, sheltered from the impacts of climate change all over the world, are driving a global migration that has no respect for borders. There's no wall tall enough, there's no border patrol large enough, there's no resettlement campaign ambitious enough to control that amount of people anywhere in the world. At a very conservative estimate, it more than doubles the amount of forcibly displaced people seeking asylum across the world. We're on the verge of the largest movement of people in modern history, and we'll experience it in our lifetimes. Where an apparently overpopulated world has even less land to live on, with less food to eat, and less resources to share. Forget our children's world for a second. Does the world you imagine for yourself in the near future take that change into account? Whether you care about immigration or not, does the cost of carrying on with what we have right now feel like it's worth it for you?
We've seen food prices and energy prices rise outside of our control in a system that is completely obsessed with maintaining the status quo and squeezing every penny out of every opportunity. These are problems that affect us today that are guaranteed to get worse if we don't do something about it. I'm not pointing fingers, but collectively our short-sighted approach definitely isn't working. That's why I think it's time for each of us to be more selfish. When most people think about changing their habits in the face of climate change, we automatically start thinking about what we won't be able to do. We compare it to what we have instead of what we could have instead. We cling to the choices we have today, scared that they might be taken away. And we play into the hands of performative businesses and dishonest governments who pretty much get to have it their own way regardless. We're between a rock and extinction. We should want better for ourselves. From taking flights to eating red meat to using plastics to building new houses to generating electricity to all the things that have the worst impact on our environment that we don't want to stop doing. There are sustainable alternatives we've spent zero effort investing in. There are smart people doing smart things we've spent no time shouting about. Because even though they're better for us right now, and especially in the long run, they aren't cost effective. Just like the fossil fuel industry, yet we're paying twice for that poison. If we're really stuck with capitalism and big businesses having a stranglehold on us, can't we at least move over to a new racket? We empowered the car industry to pollute our atmosphere for a century, even though electric car tech was available, but harder to monopolize. Then we let them gradually go green at a time when it made the most business sense. But fossil fuel companies have no incentive to go in the same direction anytime soon. Last year, I watched COP26, an international climate meeting, which was basically the 26th time the world has gotten together and pretended they were going to do something meaningful about climate. I watched celebrity guests tell rooms full of people that big businesses need to do better. I saw politicians make commitments and teenage activists make speeches and the whole world has continued to produce more greenhouse gases. Next month, we're hosting COP27 in Egypt and we'll hear all the same stuff. It all means nothing. The UK, for example, is committed to decarbonizing our economy, but has continued to approve new oil and gas fields in the North Sea. Globally, we've got at least 50 years of gas and oil still in the ground, claimed by businesses and nations across the world. We've got even more in coal. They aren't going to stop using it while it's this valuable to the way our world works. Businesses are selfish too. There might be a time when they aren't financially motivated or subsidized to take fossil fuels out of the ground. But that relies on us innovating, funding and tolerating the alternatives. Short-term inconvenience for long-term survival. We should be selfish, not self-indulgent. There's no way we should be voting for politicians who aren't delivering on climate. In the UK, large parts of the country voted Conservative for the first time in generations just to deliver Brexit. We've shown we can mobilise across party lines. This is the defining issue of our time, an issue we can definitely affect. This has to be a coordinated effort.
In case you weren't aware, when the UK abolished slavery, they paid the modern day GDP equivalent of £135 billion to slave owners. The British taxpayer, including descendants of those slaves, only stopped paying that tax bill in 2015. That was a global crime ended in the most practical way to the economy by spending an incredible amount of borrowed money to compensate stakeholders. If our children's future relies on something as primitive as money, why can't we pay big corporations and nation states to keep fossil fuels in the ground? This isn't lucrative work. The subsidies we pay them is the bulk of their profits. It's their whole business model. These are some of the richest people in the world. Don't they just want to be richer and own more of our planet? They can do that with renewables. If step one is to let the same companies rip us off in a way that doesn't destroy our planet, that feels like a win. By the way, £135 billion is nearly nine times more than the $15 billion we spent on tackling climate change last year. To put that into perspective, more recently, the COVID-19 furlough scheme cost the UK £70 billion, and the tax cuts cost us £45 billion. Money is made available when we decide it's an emergency too, and rightly so. But globally, we're only spending 15% of the money it's estimated we'd need to transition to a safer planet. That bill is just over $4 trillion a year till at least 2030, and we aren't taking it seriously. I'd also like to add that I know it's tempting to think about our earning climate change to insulate yourself and your kids from what's happening by becoming as rich as possible. I get it. I'm the one who said you should be more selfish. There's an article in The Guardian called The Super Rich Preppers Planning to Save Themselves from the Apocalypse. Like some flashback in a dystopian movie, there are extremely wealthy people trying to build networks of bunkers as part of a larger plan to protect themselves from apocalyptic events within their lifetime. If you're one of the 99% of people who don't make it to that level of wealth, just to barely survive societal collapse, and I don't expect to be, doesn't it make sense to help create the alternative instead? It could be after it gets really bad, it could be when it all runs out, or it could be when we work together and make other forms of energy and food more attractable to big business in our capitalist society. But one way or another, this system has to collapse at some point. How selfish do you want to be about that timeline? To be clear, they know fossil fuel extraction is making a horrible future for our kids, and they're doing it anyway because it's the thing that pays them best. It's the thing we pay them to produce and to use. Decades of money they can print. I'd rather find a way to make the most important industries serve our interests instead of going down with the ship. But am I being naive? Should I start saving for a billionaire bunker? Or am I overreacting? Do you feel like it might get bad, but not that bad? That some of the world will be flooded and starved and displaced, and the rest of us will just be cool. Let me know. I know this episode was about climate change, but previous episodes covered the metaverse and AI, topics that I think, like climate, are also linked to one of the greatest threats to our children, 
a possibility that's closely linked to their greatest opportunity. I'll be introducing that conversation in episode six, the last episode of this season. In next week's episode, I'll be talking about a practical solution to the biggest challenges we face. No subsidies required. I think I went over 20 minutes, but I talk quite slow. So always remember you can 1.5x these and shave six or seven minutes off. That's likely to come in handy over the next few episodes. In the meantime, you can find me anytime at rchildrens.world. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.